0: Hi everyone, welcome to this fresh teaching from Foundation Church Belfast. My name is David, I'm the pastor of Foundation Church and we are cracking on with our study through the book of Ezra in the Old Testament called Restoration. And we've just seen over the last eight chapters in the book of Ezra uh, how God has stirred and equipped and called uh, his people who were in slavery, uh, captive in Babylon, and he has brought them back to their homeland to the promised land to start worshiping him again to rebuild the temple uh, to get that structure back up again so the worship and the praise of God could could be reinstituted again and and we've seen over the time how God has overseen that how he has blessed that how his grace has been upon his people and there's been much joy much jubilation and and, uh, we saw that that last week Ezra Uh, had just arrived back with the second wave of returning exiles to continue and build upon the good work of restoration. And we almost wish that the story could finish at chapter 8. It was on a high point. Uh, Ezra, the scholar, the one who gave his heart to study and and live out God's word, has just returned back to Jerusalem and and that was going to be good times. Uh, everything seemed to be working well. They had their temple, they had their teacher, they had revival, spiritual revival. The good times were rolling. And yet, as we see in chapter 9 today and then chapter 10 next week, this this huge problem threatens to overturn the entire restoration community. For all these external changes, there seems to be a deeper problem, uh, a more basic problem that the people have uh, that threatens the entire restoration project. The good beginnings uh, could be jeopardized. Uh, and, and we're thinking about this because uh, we can see this today, or possibly see this today, in our own church or in our own churches, where we might see uh, encouraging things happening. Praise God, right? Worship, people gathering, people coming to faith. Great. Uh, we see the green shoots of, of God's grace uh, springing up in Belfast and and, and beyond, wonderful. Um, But what we're gonna see today is is that it is possible, it is possible to produce external alterations in our own behavior and being, uh, aside from internal transformation of our heart. We we can produce external alterations without internal transformation. And we're gonna see why and how, how we get to this place through Ezra 9. Um, I wonder if, though, if uh, if you have ever seen this taking place um, in those around you. Maybe you know someone who made a commitment to to Christ, to to following Him, or, or, or appeared to to make a response in a church service or something, and that they managed to live uh, for a bit. You know, making some changes to life and, and changing the way they talk, perhaps, or something like that. But you've noticed but over time that initial enthusiasm has has simply faded away and that they're nowhere near, near god now they're not interested in him anymore maybe maybe you know someone like that maybe you are someone like that who had some sort of religious experience at some point in the past and yet if you're honest and you're looking at yourself now you're that it, you're, you're nowhere near where you were back then your your life now is just the same as it was beforehand there's been no change in you and so we're going to look at this passage and ask why that happens. And and but the good news is there's hope. Uh, what can we do about it? What what does God have for us? And we're going to be thinking under these three headings: the problem of sin in the restoration community. We're going to be looking at the response to sin in the restoration community, and thirdly and finally the answer to sin, the problem. The, the response and the answer first of all the problem of sin uh, we, we've already been thinking Ezra and his, and his entourage have just arrived uh, the second wave much smaller remember than the first but there they are um, they've delivered the riches to the temple signed them over to the priests who oversee uh, all that stuff in, in the temple in Jerusalem and, and it says here uh, in chapter 9 verse 1 and 2 uh, after these things had been done Uh, The officials, the leaders, you know, uh, approached me, Ezra, uh, and said this. The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the land with their abominations. goes on to say that that they've taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves, and they've given their sons to marry uh, with the other tribes, the other peoples of the land, those outside uh, the people of Israel abominations is the the old word here used to describe that um abominations is simply the the biblical word for the practices the religious practices the social practices of uh non-israelite nations out there people who don't believe in in the god of israel don't follow him their practices their behaviors they're they're described uh, generally speaking as abominations that's what we're talking about here and how has this happened? How, how are some of the people uh, of that returning uh, group, how have they started to pick up the practices of these outside, these pagan, non-believing nations? Well, it says that they have married off, they've intermarried. There's been a mixture between the people of Israel, the restoration community, and those outside. And if you remember, if you've been tracking with us in our teaching so far, you'll, you'll realize what an absolute scandal that is. Because even right at the start, there were very, very uh, detailed um, lists of the names of all the people, the heads of families and the heads of households who had come back. It's very, very clear. We have to be absolutely clear who belongs to Israel, who belongs to the community. And, and we also saw um, that the, the outsiders were allowed in, in chapter six, but only if they had turned away. They had started to follow the God of Yahweh and, and lived and they put aside their practices and lived for him and and they were invited to worship as well but here we have this whole different situation this this mixture um, the practices of the nations infiltrating and coming in and influencing uh, the restoration community and that is an absolute disaster as we'll go on to see in the second part why is this a problem Uh, why is it a problem that the people of israel were marrying and intermarrying with the people of the nations well, first off, um, they were expressly commanded not to do this. Um, both here in Ezra, we'll see in verses 10 through 12, um, Ezra reminds the people, you knew God commanded you not to do this. That The prophets of old told you not to do this. They have always pointed, after, generation after generation, they have pointed out the problems with our ancestors. And they have said, you have absorbed the practices of the peoples of the nations who don't know and love God. That's why you ended up in slavery in the first place. That's why it's a problem. Don't do it. Second time, don't do it. They knew not to do it, and yet they couldn't help themselves. You see, the whole point with this, just just so, just so we know, the whole point with remaining separate was that the restoration community was to be a worshipping community. And in so doing, as, as they worshipped God, Yahweh, according to his word, uh, through the law books, they were therefore be representing God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, to the surrounding nations through their worship, through their, their life, through their society. Uh, God said in many places in the scriptures, I am holy. I am other. I am separate. I am unlike you. Be holy because I am holy. You are called to represent me. Be completely different from the rest of the world out there. That's how you will represent me to the world. In Deuteronomy 7, 6, uh, God says this. You, speaking to Israel, he says you are a holy people, holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. He says, you know, I've chosen you, you, to reflect me to everybody else. I've chosen you to live such distinct lives, such a set up such a distinct society that it points to me, it points to my justice, it points to my love. You have to have a society that is completely just. There are to be no outsiders in your society. You are to care for the poor and the vulnerable, for the orphans and the widows. No one else does that. You ought to do that because I care. I'm a heavenly father. You ought to put grace upon them. You ought to welcome in the strangers because I welcome in the strangers. There is to be equity and fairness because I'm a just God and I'm a loving God. You ought to be a light to the nations. That was how they should have been. So with that in mind, you can start to see if they start behaving like the nations around them, then that light that Israel was supposed to be starts to dim. It starts to grow, uh, grow cold. It starts to go out. And so you can see why marriage with the surrounding nations is a problem. And Israel knew all too well with examples from their own history books, from great kings like Solomon and uh, terrible kings like Ahab. They intermarried. And, and it did not go well with them. They started to worship the gods of their various um, outsider wives, and they started to uh, engage in their practices. And that was a great offence to God who called them to be holy. You know, and as, 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 as Christians, as those who follow and love and live for Jesus, we are, we are called, in the church, we are called to radiate the light of the gospel to the outside world. And therefore, application of this part of the text application is for those of us who name the name of jesus christ we have to be so careful who we are choosing as our partner as our spouse as our boyfriend as our girlfriend because we are called to live the light of the gospel that's why We have to be really careful. And and this isn't just necessarily about romantic relationships, this application. It extends to our social circles as well. Those we hang out with, those we are influenced by, whether we know them personally or if, if it's through the likes of social media. Influencing. The closer the relationship we have with another person, let's face it, the more they are going to influence us for better or for worse. That's just the way human interactions work. So, we have to be really careful, particularly when we're making decisions about those closest to us in life, who, who we are uh, interacting with most on a, on a most deep and profound level. And I, I, in my experience, in my pastoral experience, I've known far too many young adults who have made bad choices in who they, who they hang out with and, and who they end up marrying. And I've seen so many wandering away, wandering away from the faith. It's exactly the problem we see here in Ezra Ezra 9. But that's not the only place our application of this text stops. Uh, It's not just in our romantic and interpersonal relations, but in general, as the church, uh, we are called, as we're saying, to mirror the light and the love and the, the grace and the justice of God to the surrounding nations. And so we have to be so careful um, as, as we are thinking as a church about our practices and as individual Christians about how we live and our, our ethics and the decisions that we make on a, on a daily basis. We have to be so careful that we are not assimilating and absorbing values of our culture, of our, our surrounding nation, the you know, uh, uh, prevailing attitudes. Um, we have to be so careful that we're not absorbing uh, attitudes from those who do not know and love and want to glorify God in in place of biblical revelation God's revelation of himself in the Bible um, there are so many challenges let's face it there are so many challenges uh, to living as a, as a Christian today and to living as a church um, community today and um, so many areas that our culture our western culture is railing against the traditional christian understanding the christian teaching the biblical teaching whether it's um our understanding of what makes a human being a human being uh, understanding gender understanding our sexuality uh, understanding what makes life important and when does life begin and how do we treat the unborn and how do we treat the, the, you know, those at the other end of you know, the um, uh, elderly, uh, the vulnerable. There are, there are many things at the moment that the, the world is saying we are wrong about. This is, this is wrong, this is evil teaching. That's what they'll say. And if we're not careful, we will absorb those messages and those values uh, without thinking, without being critical in our, in our thinking. This is the problem that we're, we're looking at here. This is the issue within the restoration community that we see in Ezra 9. And you see, the more we uh, assimilate and absorb values, the more it weakens our, our witness, the more it switches off the light, it robs God of his glory. When we start behaving and thinking and acting like those who have no faith, those who do not know Jesus, but before we end, there is actually, unfortunately, for all of us, a, a larger problem here that we see in Ezra chapter 9. There is a bigger problem. It's never just the, the surface sin of, of uh, in this case, intermarriage, marrying outside of the you know, the restoration community. It's never like that. And the nature of sin is like an onion with multiple layers. And You, you peel off one layer and blow it. It's another layer and blow it still. There's always a sin under a sin. There's always a deeper root uh, beyond the fruit, Uh, that we see on the surface intermarriage as we see here is bad enough uh, and it leads to all sorts of problems but but the deeper issue that's far worse was what was going on in the hearts of the people uh, in their very um, innermost being for whatever reason um, intermarriage seemed like a good idea at the time Uh, there might have been a uh, you know to make trade easier between various nations we knew that the people of Israel were struggling financially at this time Uh, it might be that that they thought it was safer if we have political alliances between us and other nations Um, that's a good reason to intermarry maybe there just wasn't enough offspring being produced and they thought well look we need to get our sons more wives and we need to get our wives more husbands let's just Let's just borrow some in from outside. Who knows what their actual motivation was. But the issue at the heart, the core of all of this, is that they loved sin more than they loved God. They loved sin more than they loved God and and obeying God. Because you can see, hopefully here, how it is possible to alter external behaviour without internal heart change don't forget these were the people who built the temple these were the people who praised god and worshipped him and 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 the great shouts were, were heard for miles around because of how much joy there was in the camp that was awesome but these are the same people who are disobeying god and are wandering away from him and this explains as we'll see ezra's response his his drastic response in the next section they were externally compliant but internally, their hearts were wandering away from God. You know, and, and, and as a church and, and the church in general, it is relatively easy to produce external change, external conformity, without internal heart change. We can create believers, quote unquote, like that. Um, it is possible. We can teach knowledge so that people know the right things to say and do. And they know the right answers to, to, to give in a quiz about the Bible. Um, we can do that. We can even produ- provoke emotional responses by working the crowd, little techniques to tug at the heartstrings, um, effectively morally blackmailing people. We can put psychological pressure on to people, often unwittingly, Let's face it, unwittingly, uh, often we don't know what we're doing. We don't know the impact of what we're doing, you know, uh, often with the best intentions that we just want people to to make professions of faith, as we say, in Jesus, you know, uh, just one more hand, one more hand. I see you, just one more hand. Little techniques like that are not always bad, but can be uh, used for manipulative purposes. We can produce external change without internal transformation. We can do that. Even faithful, you know, gospel-preaching, Jesus-loving churches um, can create people who are just full of knowledge. Uh, they, they know how to behave. They know how to look and act and speak. But they never allow their hearts to be radically changed, transformed by the gospel of grace through Jesus in the, in the gospel. So I wonder, does this describe anybody that you know? Or maybe you have your suspicions about people who are close to you, who, who made professions of faith and, and tried to act, and yet the, some of the way that they live their life, the decisions they make, the people that they are influenced by, would suggest that perhaps they haven't been transformed from the inside out. Maybe this even describes you if you're, if you're honest With yourself perhaps for you your faith is kind of mechanical it's robotronic christianity um, where you just know the routine you know the words and yet your heart is cold your heart is cold Um, maybe that's you maybe you've learned how to think uh, sorry how to make others think that you're a christian whereas you know we have a suspicion that deep down that you're really not is that you can you see the problem of sin in the restoration community well the good news is that there is hope there is hope and we'll turn to that in our next few points we've just seen the problem of sin in the restoration community and it's particularly the sin of intermarriage this sort of assimilation and uh, uh, infiltration uh, of values and um, practices the outside world into the community of faith and how that has weakened their greatly weakened their uh, reflecting the glory of god to the surrounding nations that has weakened their witness to god and all that he has done so we come on now to the response to that sin in the restoration community we're going to look at ezra's response don't forget ezra um, is the scholar he's the he's the the, the man of the word, the, the man of the book. Remember, we, he set his heart uh, to learn the word of God, to study it, to do it and to teach it. He, he was passionately pursuing God. And imagine his, his feeling when he came. he, he was uh, After four months of travelling, they'd arrived, they'd signed over all the goods, they'd sort of uh, uh, done some thanksgiving offerings. And then this news comes to him that the people of Israel, the leaders, the priests and the Levites particularly, have intermarried and have started to absorb the pagan practices. Just imagine someone so passionate and zealous for God hearing these things. It says in verse 3, we've got his response right here in black and white. He says, as soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and I sat appalled. And it says, I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice, clothes torn, couldn't eat, couldn't say anything, just slumped down in this sort of catatonic state for the whole day. And he couldn't even bring himself to pray, call out to God until later that evening, uh, when a, a crowd of others who were with him who, who were equally shocked and appalled gathered to him and so it says he he um, he fell upon his knees at that moment and he says this this is the start of his prayer in verse 6 oh my God he says I am ashamed and blush to lift my face to you my God for our iniquities out of our sins have risen higher than our heads and our guilt has mounted up to the heavens I mean there's no there's no covering this up in his view Uh, you just can't fob god off you can't deceive him you can't hide it from him everything is completely open before god's eyes and ezra knew that and so he wasn't trying to convince god it was otherwise our sins are higher than our heads our iniquities our guilt rises up uh, to the heavens he says um don't forget this wasn't even his own personal sin you know he wasn't intermarrying with other other people um but he owned that he, he 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 said we this is our problem this is this therefore is my problem um he he was weeping and grieving on behalf of the community even though it wasn't his own personal sin it's something that they as a group own together that's that's good leadership right there that's good shepherding um he wasn't putting on a show he wasn't acting um, he was so deeply wounded and grieving about the sin within the community as if it was his very own. Um, and then in, he begins to pray and he pours out his heart to God. Um, and he shows how how God um, has, or rather how the people have been sinning in the past. That's how they ended up um in slavery in babylon in the first place that's what our people were doing and he's saying in his prayer we just can't stop it we're doing it now we're doing the same thing again it's in our blood you know it just seems to be history repeating says ezra in his prayer there's no there's no sugar coating here there's no uh, trying to paper over the cracks so to speak there's no covering up the past it is ugly and and he lays it all out to bear he admits this all in the presence of god then he moves from the sinfulness of the people to the mercy of God, despite their sinfulness. And he says, you know, in verse eight, for a brief moment, favor has been shown to us by the Lord our God to to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within the holy place that is within Jerusalem, the temple. Um, You know, that God might brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving from our slavery. He's referring to the restoration project, the restoration community. God has had grace upon us. He has had mercy. He has had favor upon us. We deserve to be destroyed. We deserve to be kicked out of his presence. And yet, um, after our period of, of, of discipline in Babylon, God has brought us back. He he, he, has, he has not treated us as our sins have deserved. In verse 13, God has been gracious to us. He, he, has, he has dealt kindly with us. And is this how we respond, says Ezra? After all God has done, after all this mercy and favor and stirring and and guiding and providing and granting safety and granting success against the enemies, completion of the temple, worship restored once again. Is this how we treat God? We walk away from him in spectacular style. He grieves. He falls on his knees before God and pours out his woes. Do you notice, though, what he doesn't do when you read the prayer? Do you know what he doesn't do? He, he doesn't give a petition to God. He doesn't start asking for things. He's not pleading with God for anything. He's not promising that, that, that we'll turn around and we'll start being good people again, good citizens, good people of God he, he doesn't promise to God, you know what, we're going to try and turn over a new leaf here. We're going to try and pull ourselves together and, and please, you know, just forgive us for this and we'll carry on. He doesn't do any of that. Because he knows that for all those external forms, external signs, um, they in and of themselves do not produce internal heart change. And he knows that ultimately that's where the problem is. They don't love God. They don't love God. And so he just confesses this great sin. He acknowledges that the God is just. He is merciful. And then he leaves it there. That's all he can do. That's all he can do. He is glimpsed at the the extent and the depravity of sin within the community. It's ugliness. And he is just saying, I am casting myself, I'm throwing myself upon the mercy of God. He's merciful. I'm confessing that's all I can do you know we we build in um, at Foundation Church we build in a time of confession into all of our worship services um, a time to stop and and we say that confession is is simply a case of being honest before God he already knows uh, the sins and the ways that we've gone against him and and other people he he knows what we've done and yet, yet it's an opportunity for us rather like Ezra to, to, to be open before God and bring that before God and, and, and grieve for the ways that we've turned against Him, And some people maybe from outside would think, well, that's a, that's a really depressing thing to do. It's a joy killer, isn't it? Uh, confessing our sins and having this time to sort of mope around. Um, but that's certainly not what it's for. And that's not what it's about. It is our, uh, opportunity to be honest before God. And and it, it is, uh, uh, honest before who, God for who we are and for what we've done and, and the good thing is after that then we turn to Jesus and we'll see that in a few minutes and, and, and we'll receive grace and, and forgiveness through the work of Jesus so if anything it doesn't kill joy it stokes up joy it reminds us of grace it reminds us of, of how far we have gone and yet what God has done for us in Jesus Christ in fact for some at Foundation Church it is the highlight, it's one of the highlights of the entire worship gathering, is our opportunity to slow down, to be honest and be uh, confess our sins to God. And we do that through a variety of different ways if you've never visited with us. Uh, sometimes it's simply being silent and, and, and silent confession. Sometimes we read out a scripture together, uh, one of the old confessions in in, in, the, in the Bible. Um, uh, sometimes we sing a particular song. Sometimes we use a set prayer prayer. Um, all different ways uh, of confessing our sins. None of them require you to publicly declare your sin. Nothing like that, don't worry. Um, but it's an opportunity for each of us to, to be authentic, uh, to be vulnerable before the only one who can truly see, which is God, and, um, and open our hearts to him. And that's what confession is all about. But I wonder, I wonder if you've ever had a similar experience to, to anything near where Ezra is coming from here. Um, anything even remotely approaching it. You know, when you have realized a moment of reckoning in your life of your own sin or, or, or the sin of the, your people, your family, the sin of your church, for example, and it has provoked within you this, this sorrow, this grieving, this, this righteous sorrow. When you see the ugliness and the, and the desperation of sin in light of a holy God and who he is, have you ever cried out like Ezra, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a a man or a woman of unclean lips in your presence. Have you ever been like that before, God? Maybe you haven't. Uh, Maybe it's never been an experience of you, particularly I'm talking to you now, if you're a believer in Jesus, if you're a Christian, maybe you've never had a a moment uh, where you have been so aware, so convicted of, of your sin that you have fallen short of God's glorious standards for you. Maybe you have thought to yourself, particularly if you've grown up in church, for example, you know, I, I'm not as bad as other people. I don't really need to do this confession of sin thing. Generally, I'm, a, I'm not. I'm a nice person. Uh, I, I'm a moral person. Um, I do good things. I, I, you know, I don't need to confess my sins and come to Jesus for forgiveness. Maybe you've never confessed your sins at all before God but let me say say to you um, very directly if you name the name of Christ and you call yourself a Christian and yet you've never been moved to sorrow you've never been ashamed of your your sins if you don't think it's a big deal quite frankly then you haven't understood the seriousness of your sin and the holiness of God and you, you may not have received the grace of Jesus, after all. I'm not saying, folks, just hear me right. I'm not saying that every time we pray, or or confess our sins, that has to be like pulling our hair out and tearing our clothes. Not at all. This is this is a very drastic reaction to a very drastic problem that we see in Ezra nine. But have you truly and earnestly sorrowed for your sin before receiving the grace of God? Because as we're saying here, sin uh, and its effects uh, and its fruit threatens the entire restoration community. One of the reasons for Ezra's pronounced response to hearing this terrible news is that he realises that they are right on a knife edge. They are right on on the precipice and they could be destroyed at any moment. And it seems that they can't escape their sin, no amount of external religious practices or behaviour changes have made any difference. Sin is a problem folks and we need to radically respond to it as we see Ezra do here. But I want to encourage you to carry on because the next point, the final point is the answer to sin in the restoration community and the good news is there is hope, there is hope. Now we're going to look at the answer to sin. And the good news is there is an answer and uh, there is hope for us. Uh, The interesting thing is that that in all of Ezra's prayer, here, his prayer of confession, he he doesn't take it anywhere else. It it stops there. He simply confesses his sin and he he just leans on the mercy of God. He says, God, you're merciful. We're sinful. And that seems to be the end of the prayer. Um, He can't bring himself to plead or ask or anything, anything more because he knows that the game's up. Uh, What's going to win? What's going to prevail? Is it going to be the, the mercy of God? Is it going to be kind? And is he going to be, you know, forgiving, let the people off again? Or is it going to be the, the justice of God's, you know, um, punishment uh, for their own sins? Which is it going to be? Uh, even destruction for their own own sin. And we could leave the sermon, you know, at the end of chapter 9 and say, well, who knows? Let's, let's God bless and see, see you later. Um, but that will just leave all of us with a crushing sense uh, of guilt upon us when we confess our sins and we acknowledge them before God. Um, if we leave it there, um, that will just crush us into the ground. And so what's it going to be? This is a great question, isn't it? Ezra didn't answer it here. Uh, is God going to come through in his mercy and therefore forgive us? Or is God going to punish us justly for our sin and and therefore um we're going to bear that punishment. Which, which is it going to be? Um, you might say to yourself, well, look, if God is really loving and, and really merciful, then he can just forgive. Indeed, he is loving and merciful. Uh, but we also see here uh, that God is, is just. He, he will not turn a blind eye to, to sin. Uh, he is always, justice means for, for God, he is impeccable. Uh, In all of his ways, he always does the right thing. Um, he, he, He is impeccable in fleshing that out. It means that he hates evil, which is a good thing, right? He hates evil. He hates evil people. It means that evil people will be held account to account one day before him. It means that all sin and all evil will be punished. That's what we get from having a just God, and we want that. The problem is that God also hates the sin and evil that we do that resides within us. He, he can't just be just towards those people, but not just towards me. God's justice is justice. And he hates all forms of sin and evil, whether it's in you or me, or in these terrible uh, evil dictators and child traffickers and all the terrible things that people have done in history. God is just, but he's also merciful. So where does that leave us? Well, Ezra doesn't tell us but that brings us to the good news. That brings us to the gospel. The good news of Jesus is only at the good news of Jesus, only in the gospel that we find the answer to the question. What am I going to receive? Is it going to be God's mercy or is it going to be God's wrath? His anger, his His just settled anger against my sin. Which is it going to be? How is it going to go? But it's only in the gospel. It's only in the cross of Jesus Christ that we see the answer to how God will treat me and And those of his people, those who come to faith in Jesus, that's how we only see there at the cross, how he'll do it. What do I mean? Well, you see, when Jesus went to the cross, he did so in order to show God's great mercy, but also to settle God's justice. Mercy and justice were fully applied in the cross of Jesus. What do I mean? How is this good news? Well, it all comes around to this thing called substitution, exchange. One person on behalf of another. That's what happened at the cross. And this is really the heart of the gospel. This is the gospel. Our sin was laid upon Christ at the cross. All of the ugliness... All of the filth, all of our lies, all of our rebellion, all of our evil, all of our anger. That was all placed upon Christ. And he became our substitute. He received justice. He received the wrath of God that should have been on you and me and the people of Israel. He received the wrath of God in his own body there on the cross. That's what he was doing. The perfect fierce wrath of god was poured out upon christ god's son on the cross justice was done sin was punished once and for all through jesus but that's not all that happened that's not the only part of the exchange you know ezra here in chapter 9 was devastated because This remnant of Israel, this small restoration community, were unable to keep the law. They they could not stop sinning against God. They could not keep his law. They couldn't obey him perfectly. But you see, through the good news of the gospel, in Jesus Christ, he was the faithful remnant. The people of Israel failed. They could not keep the law. But there was one who remained faithful. There was one who is Jesus himself. You see, in the gospel jesus did not only take his our sin when he became our substitute but he earned our righteousness our perfection if you like uh, when he exchanged himself with us in the gospel his perfect obedience his perfect keeping of the law his perfect righteousness before god He was the only one to ever live perfectly and completely and wholly. Every beat of his heart, every second of the day, every thought was captive. He was the only person to do that. And at the great exchange, not only did he take our sin upon himself, but he gave us his righteousness. He earned our righteousness and he transferred that through the Holy Spirit to his people. So this is the great exchange. Our sin given to him and dealt with in his death. His righteousness given to us in his life. Perfect death and a perfect life. That means, just to be clear, that means that when you trust in Christ, when you place your life in his hands, not only is complete forgiveness given to you, the mercy of God through Jesus, But also the righteousness of Christ is given to you. You are considered by God to be complete and whole and completely righteous. When he looks at you, he doesn't see all your flaws and your previous sins. No, no, no. he says he puts those things away. He says, Your sins, although they are red like scarlet, they have been you have been made whiter than snow. That's the effect of Jesus, that's what he has done for you. That's what happens when you trust in him. You receive those benefits to you. The justice of God was settled on the cross. The mercy of God was demonstrated on the cross. That is yours through faith in Jesus Christ. One old hymn writer puts it like this. When he discovered this great exchange and what it meant for him and his life, he said, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and i bear it no more praise the lord praise the lord oh my soul you see when we we grasp this amazing truth this great exchange when we when we when we trust christ by faith it will utterly transform our hearts Um, it will change us from the inside out we've seen earlier on that the external Changes cannot produce an internal transformation of the heart. But the reverse is not true. An internal transformation of the heart, when we look and receive what Jesus has done for us, that will change us and that will therefore have external implications. That will change the way that we think, that will change the way that we behave, That the decisions that we make. will be changed and influenced and inspired by the heart change that comes through faith in Jesus as delivered through the Holy Spirit's work. Your worship will kick into gear your finances will come into alignment with god and his purposes what he wants uh, for you and his kingdom your lifestyle will conform to please god and other people you will live for him and live to serve others not to serve yourself primarily this is what will happen when Your heart is transformed by the good news of Jesus. This is how you know you haven't just externally conformed to something. Can you see why the the restoration community is so different from anything else? Can you see why light emits from it when people understand and receive and feed off of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can you see the impact of the local church in its community, in its city, for us the city of Belfast, when we truly grasp, this great truth, this great beauty of the gospel of Jesus, how his glory and his fame and his splendor will be emitted to the ends of the earth when we take this into our deepest levels of ourselves and allow it to spring forth with light and life, transforming us from the inside out. That's what will happen when we understand and respond and receive the answer to our sin. That's all for us and through Jesus Christ. And it is yours through faith in what is done. It applies to you. Freedom from sin. Righteousness. Perfect righteousness placed upon you. Do you want it? It's yours through faith in Jesus.